On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. Greetings and salutations from the TCA studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. As the good woman said, my name is Matt Robinson. Happy to be uh, to be with you today. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Talkin Audio, so give us a follow there. Uh, we'd love to interact with you guys, see what you're thinking about everything that's going on or uh, what we've discussed on the show. And uh, wherever you're hearing us right now, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Pods, wherever you're listening, uh, hit the follow button, hit the subscribe button, stick around. A uh, good couple of weeks coming at you. Uh, it is a Wednesday as we sit here and uh, put this out for you. On Wednesday night, the Canadian women's hockey team plays the first game of the Olympics. Uh, the opening ceremony, actually, not until Friday, but uh, with how many games there are to play here and a men's and a women's tournament to fit in, uh, they're getting a few games in before the opening ceremonies even starts. Uh, and that includes Canada at 11.10 p.m. Eastern uh, on Wednesday. And uh, have the perfect guest here for a day like this. She is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She got a bunch of world championships. She's a former coach, a lockdown defender, and now a terrific broadcaster on uh, on TSN. And coming up, as I said here, uh, throughout the Olympics on CBC, Cheryl Pounder is going to join the podcast here in just a moment. So uh, really looking forward to uh, to chatting with her. She's actually been someone I've wanted to have on the podcast for a while. We've traded messages a few different times and uh, we were able to make it work here and uh, it turned out perfect, Uh, you know, with the Olympics being right here on the doorstep and her uh, being such a big part of that over the year, winning gold medals in both uh, Salt Lake City in 2002 and Turin in uh, in 2006 uh, with Team Canada. In fact, I'm going to ask her right off the hop about the gold medal game in 2002, maybe the most infuriating sporting event I've ever watched in my life in terms of the... uh, the number of penalties called against Canada. It's an American referee. The fix was in. The Canadian women overcame and brought home a gold medal anyway. Uh, just an awesome game. And it's one I've never forgotten. It's one I've sat back and actually watched a few times over the years since then. So I definitely want to ask Cheryl what it was like on the bench and uh, on the ice as Canada was having all these penalties handed to them over and over and over. And you got to take yourself back in time and remember that that was right on the heels of David Pelletier and Jamie Soleil not winning 
an Olympic gold medal in the uh, figure skating. And they had discovered uh, that that actually had been fixed. And uh, there was a French judge who had been bribed, who was working with somebody else to make sure that the Canadians did not win. So now you're seeing it on the ice in hockey and you're like, this is happening again. And uh, it's just a time and a place that uh, you have to kind of set your mind back to. Anyway, I'll ask Cheryl all about that. Uh, quickly, want to remind you guys, uh, as we announced on the Monday show, episode 929, that one was, uh, go back and check it out if you haven't had a chance yet. Lots of talk on the trucker convoy here in Ottawa, Evander Kane landing in Edmonton and whether or not that's going to be a time bomb for the Oilers. And then uh, the whole Neil Young, Joe Rogan, Spotify thing going on there. So uh, we had a bunch of stuff to get to there. But we also announced a couple guests coming up. Happy to let you know that Michaela Schreider's coming back. And uh, she's going to do a couple of uh, a couple shows with us throughout the Olympics. Uh, the first one will be on Tuesday, February 8th. And uh, the second one will be on 14, 15, 16, 17th, February 17th. And uh, a lot of women's hockey. It'll be a lot of Olympic talk. Uh, I may let her weigh in on Tom Brady's retirement. She's a bit of a Tom Brady fan. Uh, so we may let her weigh in on all that. But mainly going to be uh, talking Olympics with her and, and the women's hockey tournament, everything going on that. So that is next Tuesday and then the following Thursday. So one a week for the next two weeks uh, during the Olympic Games. She'll be back for that. Also next week, Maddie Lang will be on the podcast. It is going to be a Super Bowl show because it will be Super Bowl week. The Cincinnati Bengals and the LA Rams haven't had it in the Super Bowl. It's an interesting matchup. Maddie will have uh, tons to get to on that. So uh, stick around. You won't want to miss any of that coming up on the Tall Can Audio podcast. Like I said, make sure you get subscribed wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss out on any of that. That's enough from me. You're here for a guest. And she is right around the corner. We will get right now to two-time Olympic gold medalist, multiple-time world champion, current broadcaster on TSN, especially for a lot of you Sens fans. Uh, she's on a bunch of those games. And for the next couple of weeks doing the Olympics on the CBC broadcasts, here is Cheryl Pounder on the Tall Can Audio podcast. As promised, happy to welcome to the podcast uh, someone who has a couple Olympic gold medals, a mitt full of world championships, and has now moved into the broadcasting world. You're going to hear her throughout the Olympic Games over the next couple of weeks. Cheryl Pounders here. How are you doing today? I'm really good. Uh, you know, I was just mentioning to you that I'm not outside in this in this frigid weather, so that's a good thing. Uh, my <laughs> kids are, are lacing up the skates, getting ready to go to the ODR, so I don't think they want me skating with them anymore, actually. It's funny, Matt. I, I, I tried to go on the ice with them the other day, and they're like, Mom, yeah, no. And I was like, oh, man, has it come to this? Has it really come to this? And uh, so I think we're there. I didn't think I would see the day, but I think we're at it. So I might just have to go over there just to... Uh, you know, just to make an appearance and, and see their reactions. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. It's, it's funny to hear, you know, people not wanting to skate with, with mom, whereas the rest of us would love to get the chance to skate with an Olympian, right? It's, it's just a little too cool. Mom's never cool, right? <laughs> yeah, no, mom is not cool, I guess. You know, maybe I thought I was. Maybe that's where I made the mistake. Uh, but I've it's been made very clear to me that, that I'm not. So I just, you know, I think they're friends like me, but I don't sure. think they're willing to accept it. So, um, so yeah, so here we are, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and you know what, to be truthful, it's been, uh, enjoyable to watch them, them play on the outdoor rink. My husband does a volunteer with the city and, uh, was able to get them up and running in particular during the pandemic when they've been shut out of hockey, what they love. Right. So, so that's been, that's been a lot of fun just watching the neighborhood kids, the teenagers get out there and let, letting everyone play sort of being real inclusive on the ice. So that's, that's been a, a lot 
lot of fun to be a part of, actually. So, you know, despite the flooding and uh, and the shoveling, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just a couple of days away from the Olympics. And I want to ask you about uh, this year's tournament. I want to ask you about how you found yourself in the broadcast <laughs> world. But before we do, yep. I always... I promised myself if I ever had a chance to speak to a member of this team, I would have to ask. And I still, as clear as day, maybe one of the games that that stands out to me more than anything I've ever watched in my life is the gold medal hockey game from Salt Lake City in 2002. And I still... Still, when I think about it, it makes me crazy. I'm watching it with my buddies. We're like, I don't know, 19 or 18 or whatever. And this is that game for people who don't remember it off the top of their head the same way I neurotically do. Uh, it was refed by a, an American referee. Canada was shorthanded 11 times. Uh, at one point, there was seven Canadian penalties in a row. It seemed like you guys played the entire game shorthanded. And I know we're going back like 20 years. We have an Olympic yeah, Games <laughs> coming up in like less than just a couple of days now. But this is what's on my mind. Can you take me, just just indulge me a little. What was it like on the Canadian bench and amongst the team kind of throughout that? It's a famous game. Uh, like everyone remembers it, right? Like, Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When we came home, I'll, I'll, I'll start there and then I'll go backwards. But thanks for the reminder that it was two decades ago, just reminding <laughs> me of how old I actually am. But, uh, you know, and I still feel very youthful, willing to go to the ODR. But, right. no, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. When we came off the plane uh, in uh, Calgary, we landed in Calgary, the women's hockey team. I remember the pilot coming on and saying, could the women's hockey team please come off last? And we were kind of like, what do you mean? You know, we want to go have a beer. You know, we're, <laughs> you know, training's over and uh, we have gold medals and we get off. And it was kind of like pandemonium at the airport. And we were like, what? <laughs> People watched? <laughs> And, you know, we had no idea. And I can honestly tell you now, um, being in my mid-40s with daughters, that I, I think the thing that I reflect on the most about that particular game and that Olympics is sort of changing the landscape uh, for the women's game and, and the visibility. Because if you read a lot of the bios heading into Beijing, it's like, we watched that game. And so I think it's kind of a very proud moment to know that uh, much like women's soccer, a few Olympics ago, and you know when it tugs on the heartstrings, uh, how many people sort of watched and tuned in just because they felt that it was very unfair. And if we go back to the game, uh, a lot of people will not know that we lost every game uh, we played to the Americans leading in to the Olympics. Like seven or eight games. in a row, wasn't it? it was... Yeah, it was eight. It was eight. <laughs> I will not forget that. And it was a real journey of learning about ourselves and the team. But in, in many instances, the media and, and the world outside of our dressing room had sort of signed, sealed, and delivered us that silver medal. And so when we got to that room, we decided we'd had meetings. You know, we were going to we were going to be prepared for whatever we faced. We had a couple code words going on. We <laughs> used everything to our advantage and interestingly enough, the veterans took us away uh, on a sort of a trip just to prepare us of what to expect at the Olympics. And we had potential distractions. And on the bottom of page two, it says officiating. And oh. yeah, and so we had this code word. So anyway, it was it was hairy. And, uh, you know, the, the as you mentioned, the penalties, it was really very one side one sided. And with every penalty we killed, I can honestly tell you that the intensity within us ramped up. It was almost like when, you know, you stare at someone's eyes and they just get into that laser focus mode. It was almost as if, you know what, you, you, we, you can't take it this way. And with every penalty we killed, I can honestly tell you we became more of a team because it, no one was worrying about who played. It was just about, let's, let's get this job done. Right. And I remember being angry 
and having to take my rage and say, because I was a penalty killer, mm-hmm. rage, you better go sit at the end of the bench because <laughs> I can't deal with you right now. And I did look for Stacey Livingston after the game. That was her name. Not that I remember. Right. <laughs> And um, we ended up winning that game. And one of the the key pieces that will always come out of that is maintaining our composure and finding finding a way to get it done. And uh, it was really a culmination of a team. Um, and a lot of people afterwards would come up and say, I, I threw something at my TV. Yes. Or it was the first time my wife watched hockey from start to finish. Or, you know, I was on the operating table and I asked them right when I got out who won. And <laughs> So, you know, there was a lot of a lot of great stories that came out of it, but perhaps uh, the change in the grassroots was was the greatest, greatest one for me. So, so yeah, you know, that gold medal will go down in the history for me. I, I don't remember a shift I played in. No word of a lie. It's the one game really? I've never watched again. Yep. Wow. Yeah. People will say, you know, why wouldn't why wouldn't you watch it again? And I can honestly tell you, um, I thought about it. I do remember the the last shift I played because I was on the ice. Uh, we were nearing the end of the game, and I came out of that zone. You know that zone of intensity and that bubble that everyone talks about what you could possibly be in if you're in the moment. And I was in it, and I came out of it, and I was starting to crap my pants, <laughs> right? Because you're so you're so close to winning. But it's still it's still far away enough. You know, any time on the clock. Um, if anyone watched football last weekend, you can you can you can understand yeah. that. So you know, any time on the clock, you know, it's still not there. So for me, just I didn't want to change that that memory. I, I didn't want to go back, and I didn't need to go back in terms of to crit- critique myself like we always do to get better. It was one of those things I wanted to leave the memory exactly the way it was. Uh, so I've never rewatched that game. That's really, uh, it's interesting to hear someone obviously who was right involved in the code. No, I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't need to see it any other way. I know how it went. Well, and Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, my sports psychologist back in 2002, I'd been cut before the Olympics uh, in 1998. And so when I got back on the team, I remember I'm about to walk into the opening ceremonies and I have my phone and I've got my camera on, right. I got my video camera and the sports psychologist kind of looks at me. He's kind of annoyed with me. And I'm like, <laughs> what, what is it? I'm going to capture this moment. Like I'm going to capture it. And he turned me, he sort of taught me a valuable lesson that day. He said, no, Cheryl, he said, you know what? It'll never be the same through that lens. Go live it. That's true. And, eh? and so I kind of embraced it. I walked in and then of course I turned my damn camera on, <laughs> but um, I took, I took the moment and I think we spend so much time in anything we do, whether we're athletes or, you know, you're in the broadcast booth or you're anywhere, you critique, you go back, you watch, you figure out how you can grow, how you can get better. But in this scenario, it was the pinnacle. So I didn't want to change it. I kind of, you know, I knew I'd go back and say, why the hell were you there on that play? But, you know, I think that it just worked out so well and each and every girl had the game of their lives. And that's kind of the memory that I kind of want to live with. So I'm, I'm keeping it there. And it seems like the rivalry at that point, like it's always been heated between Canada, USA, right? That's it's maybe the greatest rivalry in sports is, is women's hockey, Canada, USA. You know, you're most of the time going to get it in a gold medal game at the Worlds or the Olympics. But like there was talk about, um, you know, that I guess some of the American athletes had, had signed a couple pictures that were hanging in the Olympic Village or something of, of some of your teammates. I know there's um, Haley's famous speech about the flag in the locker room. Like it seems like the, the rivalry was really turned, the intensity was cranked right up to 10 at that point. Yeah. And we found out later that, I mean, Cameron Granado is such a well-respected voice and, and name in the game. And, um, you know, she was asked shortly thereafter the game, you know, was the flag on the floor? She said, no. And yeah. so I, be- I certainly believe that. But at the time, it's a better story when it is. It's, though. It's, yeah. At the time, <laughs> you know, you grab anything. Yes. It, it, it's like anything you grab anything that you can kind of, 
sort of put in your favor or lend you some positivity. Obviously, in 2002, we found out about the Lucky Looney at Center Ice. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, just mm-hmm. something so simple that could, you know, unite a team or a country or fans, just that, you know what, this is our ice. And, right. you know, how you can utilize things in your your favor in terms of how you look and your perspective around it. And so for us, we kind of rallied around that. And we're like, yeah, no one steps on our flag. <laughs> um, but a- afterwards, we found out that it, it didn't actually happen. And and um, so, you know, that's, that, that is the truth, uh, you know. But again, at the time, when you step out on that ice and I think a lot of the athletes go to college together and become good friends. But when you put on your Jersey to represent your country, uh, I, you know, it was my sister on the other side. I'd still take her out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You, you want to, you want to, you want to win. Um, and that's one of the moments that I miss the most to be truthful is sort of standing on the blue line before the game and sort of the stare down, just sort of, you know, moving your feet and getting ready, um, kind of calming the nerves and and just looking across, knowing what you're up against. And that's, you know, best on best. And, and that's, that's, that's it. And I think that's why we train. That's why we want to, you know, excel at, at, at the top level. And, and when you're best on best, you know, you got to beat the best to become the best. And so that's what made that, that rivalry and continues to make that, that rivalry so great is it just, you're seeing athletics and um, excellence on the ice and, and the push and the competitive level at the same time, just wearing your heart on your sleeve. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the big thing is just wearing your country so proudly with privilege on your sleeve. And I think that's a really big, big element um, that I think people really resonate with. Well, it's interesting that you point out that that might be the time or that Olympics is the thing that kind of helped really set <clears throat> women's hockey on fire, right? Like I can remember, I believe it was that very next fall. It was the Four Nations Cup, maybe it was in Kitchener. Um, mm-hmm. I went and watched that. It was a jam-packed barn, Canada, USA, Canada wins in overtime, uh, world championships was here in Ottawa. I guess it'd be almost 10 years ago now. Jeez. Yeah, um, went and watched that, uh, and you know, again, pretty close to full house in an NHL size building. It, it, it's, 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 it's almost been sad over the last little while to see they did whatever, what's it been called? The rivalry series and yep. you know, how the crowd's been forced to be small, right? Because of the restrictions are under, I don't know. It's, it's cool to see how far it's come and, and continues to grow at this point. We're seeing pro leagues now and like, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think my very last world championship, we were playing in Winnipeg and it was sold out, even standing room. It was sold out to, and it was just an unbelievable vibe and an energy. And, and I think when you have best on best, people want to see it. And and it doesn't just, it's not just your daughters, you know, right. it's your sons and it's your aunts and your yeah. uncles and your grandpas and your grandmas, because it's, it's, it's sport. And anytime you have two competitors that are the best in the game going at it, uh, you want to watch it. You want to watch that excellence. And I think that's no different for the women's game and why they sell out uh, when they come into particular communities. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it just shows the product that it is and how far the game has even come and continues to go. I mean, these women shoot the puck uh, way harder than I ever did when I played. And that's just a product of, you know, everything from the training to, um, you know, the, the, the technology and the sticks and that they're now using. I think I used the red Titan, which probably wasn't the best flex for me. Um, but, you know, just all of those things that are weaved into it. So for me, yeah, to, to have that energy. And it's so wonderful for the women to, 
you know, be standing on the blue line and, and the wave happened or, you know, a big Canadian flag being, right. you know, moved across the stands and the fans with signs for them. And uh, I think it's just, it, it really is a testament to the game and the product. But I also think, you know, perhaps the future too and what it holds for the for the next generation. So hopefully there can be a united front at some point uh, at where all of these women can come back and play together and showcase their talents. Uh, you've been showcasing your talents lately in the broadcast booth, and uh, we've seen you on uh, TSN doing uh, a lot of Sens broadcasts. We've seen, uh, certainly we're going to be seeing you that we're part of the CBC broadcasts coming up. Uh, after you retire, I know you did a little bit of coaching. Um, mm-hmm. When do you decide, I'd like to try the broadcasting thing? How does that opportunity kind of present itself and kind of how do you get started? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I got the opportunity simply to be truthful because I played and I remember... Um, after I'd had my first daughter, I'd gotten asked to to be a part of the broadcast, just sort of in, in the studio on the, on the panel. And, you know, it was intermittent, you know, once a year kind of thing where you got to come in and just comment on, you know, an al- some analysis and what's happened in the play and everything else. And so I really loved it, just didn't find, you don't get the reps, right? Sure. So. Um, but getting that opportunity was certainly cool. Um, I was still close to the athletes, which often made it difficult. I don't think I was, um, <clears throat> I analyzed as openly and freely back then <laughs> because, you know, they were your, your friends and right. teammates, but learned how to sort of um, talk about the game um, over the years in a, in a different light. But certainly just getting that opportunity, I think it was Paul Graham and, and TSN that just said, you know what, you know, we want you to be a part of this broadcast. We're going to give you a shot here. And then I got into the booth, which was a whole other, whole other ball of wax <laughs> and learning how to um, see the game differently. I think when you're in the game, it's like a coach, right? So just because you played doesn't mean you can coach and, and vice versa. So so getting into the booth was was different. And I think putting on a different lens in uh, sort of learning how to see differently within the booth and sort of had a lot of great mentors along the way that gave me some some real healthy tips around, you know, marking my own plays and and um, getting out my own story and, and my own style, but yet uh, learning the game from a different angle or, or not necessarily learning it, but speaking the language um, and sort of uh, and watching. So a lot of video, a lot of uh, breaking down clips for me because I've done it in coaching as well. Um, and again, it's like anything. You just want to get better at it. So not afraid to reach out to those that are excellent at it. Uh, and I've had some some great people along the way who've just said, hey, you know, this is, you know, have you considered this? Or how are you preparing? And, and those kind of things. So so I've been loving it. Love love both angles. Love the booth. Uh, love the panel. And, and love to banter. Love to have conversations around such a great game. And and um, that's what makes it a lot of fun for me. And I'm still as passionate as I ever have been. I'm just not quite as athletic as I once was. <laughs> Do you feel like part of it, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, I know you're too humble to frame it this way, but like one of the, the most successful kind of athlete turned broadcasters that we've seen lately is Tony Romo, right? On the, yeah. the NFL broadcast. And yeah. he does such a great yeah. job of kind of explaining to us what's pro- sometimes ahead of time, what's about to happen and why it happened. Yeah. Is there a part of you when you first started doing this that had to almost dumb it down for your audience? Like you understand it at a level that most of us are never going to. And so, you know, what you're seeing is probably pretty obvious, but maybe you have to take a step back a little bit and illustrate why that happened or like, what was your approach when you first got into it? Well, I got some really good advice or I think, I think it was some good advice. It was, you know, just try and try and tell people the why and not just what you're seeing, but 
why it happened. Right. And so I've tried to ask myself that question because sometimes you just see it. And I think that's sometimes the difficulty in coaching too, when you go transition from playing is you just kind of, you kind of know how it happens, yeah. right? So yeah. it just kind of happens for you. And you, it, you know, you, you know, when you've got a four checker on you, the angle they've taken, you know, but to teach it might, you know, as a coach, it's different. You have to kind of think about it. You have to take a step back and say, wait a second, if I was going to teach this to a bunch of kids, how the hell would I teach this? Right. Like, I just know what a one, two, two is or a two, one, two. I just know what it is. Or I, I just know what surfing is. I just know what, you know, so how, you know, how, how do I teach that? So I feel like almost coaching has helped too, because breaking that why down, um, and then sort of asking myself consistently is, okay, well, they just, you know, they, they, they've gotten the entry, but where did that come from? Mm. And why, you know, did they choose that, that side of the ice? Well, okay, this is where the, the, you know, this is where the opponent is and this is where their stick is and their feet is. And so, so I feel like, you know, constantly asking myself that question of, of why it happened, um, just reminds me to illustrate it from that standpoint, as opposed to just sort of talking about exactly what we're seeing. Um, And that sort of, that's helped me because I think I, the beginning, I certainly just talked about what I saw, um, you know, great shot or great one-timer, you know, as opposed to, well, how did that, that how did that lane come about to have the opportunity for that Mm one-timer? So, so, you know, I think it's just looking at it a little bit differently and, and, Having your eyes, this may sound a little bit weird, but having your eyes tune in differently to what you're looking for. Um, and sometimes I'll walk into a game and I have a, you know, I, I've, I've been watching the tendencies of, of a team. Sure. So then I'll be like, okay, I'm looking to, for that in particular. So yeah, you know, I think it's, it's trying to illustrate so people understand. Sometimes, you know, it's live television, you make mistakes, <laughs> um, and, and you learn from them too. And I think again, you know, I listen and learn from other people and what they do and, you know, always kind of saying, hey, I, I like that. I like that point in that comment. And so, you know what, I might try and try and use that one myself. And so I think it's there's a lot of that too in it. It's interesting to hear you reference how coaching was helpful in that. I, I can remember when Wayne Gretzky briefly coached the Coyotes and one of his you know, third or fourth liners having to step up and go, yeah, Wayne, I can't do that. Like Wayne, if he yeah. kind of tell him, you know, just take it on your backhand, beat that guy and come in and... Yeah, that's yeah. not us, Wayne. Like we can't all do what you do, right? So yeah, and that's that. You know, it's true. I, I always, I always thought it was going to be interesting to watch him on TNT because you, you know, that whole idea of well, you know, you just you thread the needle over there, right. and then you make this little move, and then you dish over there, and then you're wide open, and tap it. <laughs> and um, you know, but most people don't think that way. And right. and I think you know, I wasn't a. I mean, I was more of a stay at home defender. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I had skill, but you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, an offensive threat. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't your power play specialist. No. (laughs) And I mean, I certainly with my club team, I was, but Mm -hmm. when I hit the national team, I was a shut down D pair. So, you know, I, I think certainly my eye, um, tends to, to look to the defensive side of the game more than the offensive side, or I'll look to break it down defensively and, and, and how they got in. So sort of training my eye to look on the other side of the puck too, because we all have our natural, our natural skill set. So I think it's important to, to understand that too and, and try and evolve um, and, and, and grow in that element as well. Right. 
so one of the things that uh, you'll be doing here over the next little while is the Olympic Games starting up yeah. this week. Uh, have you started mm-hmm. to adjust your sleeping patterns at all? The, the time change I know is going to be rough, even though you're doing the games here in Toronto. That's probably going to make it more difficult in that regard, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy schedule. And with Olympics, I think the the actual schedule is forever changing. Right. So, uh, you know, that right now this on the schedule, it's the 11 p.m. game, which is typically Canada, and then the 8 a.m. game. So... I'm I'm not sure. It'll be an interesting little, I don't know, maybe have a two-hour cat nap in between games. And, uh, you know, the curls may not be quite as fluffy, right. um, <laughs> but uh, that's okay by me. Uh, and uh, as I wake up early for the, the morning, but I guess I, I may stay on our time and just try and cat nap um, and, and just get through it. I think that's kind of, you know, these schedules are going to be um, really busy. Uh, we are doing some men games as well, uh, Brian Mudrick and I. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a challenge. But I think some a good coffee and uh, you know and cat naps are going to be going to be certainly um, at the forefront. When we uh, look at this Canadian team, it seems like over the last couple of years we've seen a lot of turnover. Right, this team's gotten really yeah. young, and and there is a lot of great young talent on it. What are some names that you think Canadians are going to, you know, that don't Canadians don't know right now, but are absolutely going to know by the end of this tournament as as players who are going to step up and lead this team? Well, if you watch the World Championship, I think you'd know Sarah Fillier mm-hmm. already, um, but she's certainly one playing in her first Olympics that has the ability to be a real game changer. We saw it at uh, the World Championship. A lot of pressure on her too, because there's been a lot of talk about how skilled and uh, just an amazing athlete that she is and real humble, much like Poulin. And I mean, the, the, the fact that I'm even using the name in the same breath is just <laughs> a testament to, to how good she is. And I don't know if she realizes how good she is yet, and that'll come with her maturity. But you're talking about an athlete who's effortless when she skates. I mean, she has the ability... Uh, it's not just a linear game. She'll go east west. But I was I was talking about her the other day, and and you know I probably sound like a broken record, but she has the ability. She knows that she can take you one on one. She'll realize where and how she can get she can get through you um, or get the shot scoring chance through the net. But if she doesn't think it, she'll just manipulate uh, the D, like by taking a crossover out you know east and um, just get you to turn your toes. Then she'll you know she'll just scan the ice in ways that others are not scanning it. So she's just the full package. So, so get to know Sarah Fillier because she's just going to be a constant on this team. Um, and I think she does have the potential to be the best in the world at some point. Um, you know, Poulin, of course, is right now, in my opinion, uh, and a lot of people's opinion. She's just a fantastic player. But Sarah Fillier is one who I think just gives them uh, multiple layers and um, gives them opportunity on their power play. So just, just different things. So she'll get a lot of ice time. You can expect uh, Troy Ryan to play her a lot. And then another one to is um, we look at the back end and they've got a real um, a mix uh, on the blue line. They only have two returning and Renata Faust and uh, Joss on the Rock, a mm-hmm. shutdown pair. But you can look to Erin Ambrose. I always say she's she's not new. She's been around for many years, but this is her first Olympic Winter Games. You can see her. She's going to be on the NHL 22. So she's, she's just... She just 
really good in their zone exits. And sometimes I like, again, you see me talking D, yeah, I, you know, the simple, simple, simple play, man, just sometimes isn't afraid to go high and hard off the glass when she has to yet. So effective at using the middle of the ice and a crisp zone exit, uh, good on the offensive blue line. And, um, you know, she's not the fastest skater, but doesn't put herself in vulnerable position, vulnerable positions. So get to know her pretty well. And then you got uh, another two in, in Claire Thompson and Ella Shelton on the back end, their first Olympics. And, just look for them, Claire, to sort of be in the rush all the time <laughs> and then Shelton to sort of be a physical player uh, that will look for opportunities. So, I mean, I could talk forever about this team. There's every single uh, member will bring something uh, to this squad. It's just a matter of how Troy Ryan uh, elects to play them. Do you believe they've settled on their goaltending or will they rotate here early on? What do you think is going to happen there? You know, it's interesting. So there are three. I believe Kristen Campbell is known from the beginning. Uh, you know, she's probably going to be the third coming in for the future. But Emrene Debian uh, and Emerence Mashmeyer, I mean, both of them have shown that they are capable of taking the net. Emrene played the World Championship final where she, you know, she was in a two-goal deficit to start the game and uh, settled in nicely and was able to make some big stops late in the game. And Ken, of course, got the the OT winner by, of course, Poulin. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. But Mashmeyer is a very technically sound goaltender, um, arguably one of the best in the world. Both her and Anne Renee split the rivalry series games. Uh, they, you know, they got the same wins. So both of them are capable. So in a short term tournament, I think, and in, in, in particular, when you have not played a game since the St. Louis rivalry series in mid December because of the pandemic and they didn't want to take any chances, they haven't played Mm -hmm. I think it's critically important that he sees they both get games early to see how clean they are they may not get a lot of shots to start the tournament early but just how they're tracking how they're redirecting rebounds Um, so I think there'll be a lot of conversation with Brad Kirk with the goaltending coach and the coaching staff as they head into the playoff round but certainly I think it's it's Sam Renee's net to start but I think there's a there's a there's a fine line there you have to be crisp because it's such a short-term tournament you get to a one one game knock it's not seven game series right? right so so i think um both of them are capable and i think troy knows that so so i think that uh, it could go either way depending on how um you know how, how they both look so we know when we go into one of these the americans are always right there looming as uh, as the big threat but one of the great things that we've seen over the last five to ten years is a lot of these other countries have started to catch up a little bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know, who do you think is most likely if someone's going to step up and, and jump into that final ahead of Canada or the USA? Uh, I think we've seen the Finns do it before, but they left yep. uh, Nora Ratu home. That was interesting to me. I, I believe I saw she wasn't coming widely yep. known, at least for a while, as, as the best goalie in the world. Um, yeah. What do you make of the competition? Who who could put a scare into the the usual order of things here? Well, I think I think you're bang on. I think it's still going to be Finland. Uh, when you look at what they did in 2019, and yes, Nora Ratu had 93 saves between the semis and the finals. Um, I know it's incredible, but they they have, uh, you know, their coach. I think he's good. I mean, you know, there's still going to be a lot of question mark around him leaving Nora Ratu off of this roster. There was talk about um, obviously she did not go to the World Championship. She was working her hockey school at the time because it had been rescheduled right. uh, into the August uh, tournament or the August month and Annie Kiesela uh, got 
the uh, starting position in her absence and and really ran with it and won top goaltender of the tournament. Mm-hmm. So I think she was going to get the starting position. And, and according to Finland, you know, they weren't sure if Ratu could, um, you know, whether it was the right fit for her to be in a okay. um, backup role. So Kisela will get the start to start uh, these Olympics. But you're talking about a team who has an unconventional coach, uh, they have 13 new players, but they have Yeni Hirkoski, in my opinion, the best defender in the world. Um, she has the ability to lead from the back end. And if she is a hot tournament, uh, she, she's going to make a massive difference. And they have Petra Niemann, uh, Michelle Carvin and Susanna Tapani up front. So they, they have, they don't have the depth, but they certainly have, um, two lines uh, and uh, 4D that can, can 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 hold with the North American superpowers. So if they can get strong goaltending and be opportunistic in particular in their power play, they have a shot because it's one game. They certainly have a shot. I also think uh, the Czech Republic coming out of the other side. I mean, this is a team coached by Thomas Pacina. Um, you can look him up. He uh, has done a lot of skills work in the NHL. Uh, he's coached women's hockey out of Calgary. Um, and he's now been living in the Czech Republic and working with this group. So, so this is a team that possesses the puck. Uh, they're a high possessive uh, puck possession team. Um, and if they get good goaltending, uh, they've given the Finns a scare. So, you know, they're, they're right there as well. So, so I'm interested to see how it plays out. Uh, but certainly the spoiler for me is still Finland. Right. Do you ever get the itch right here on the doorstep? Do you still kind of, oh man, I, uh, you know, get the adrenaline pump and wish you were still out there? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm like everyone else. I swear at my TV. It's just, it's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, um, I think you're, once you're a competitor, you're a competitor for life. You know, I can't play rec baseball without, you know, getting angry. (laughs) Actually got kicked out of a game. One of my last games didn't like the officials call. Um, so it's, it's, you know, uh, or the umpies call. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things I think, you know, anytime, I get I get excited, you know. I get excited before I go on air. I get excited feeling the energy in a building. I get excited, you know. It's it's hockey, and I just love it. So for me, I'm passionate about it. But certainly, the idea of doing a lactate ride, where you know your blood is essentially there's no oxygen in it anymore. No, no, uh, not interested. So I'm more interested. You know, I'd like to watch uh, watch the game at night with with a pint and enjoy it uh, as opposed to you know, um, the training that would go into it. I'm sort of that, like, let's, let's go play now and, uh, compete, but I don't want to put in the hours and hours of training that go into it. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, uh, yeah. there's a friend of mine who frequently co-hosts this show and she's a Paralympian and she's, you know, she's still into it. She's still going, but, uh, I don't think she misses the ice baths and stuff like that when she's, yeah, the games are just finished. Right. So. Yeah. And I think when you're in it, you don't realize, uh, what you put your body and your mind through. And I, I mean, I, I mean, I can't stress enough how, how difficult it is from what's between the ears, right? It's, it's a, it's a tough go when you think about in particular these women that are um not just women i mean any any sure. athlete that is is uh gearing up for these olympics i mean no one would have ever thought okay i can't have my family there and then there's gonna right. be no spectators and geez i mean the anxiety around getting to beijing and just making sure you're not testing positive and then when you're there making sure that you know you're being safe so that you can get to your event and so all of these things are, are other elements that have been uh, sort of woven into um them competing 
competing. And so I, I have a real high respect for not just the sport that they, you know, that they're going for and trying to reach their potential in, but man, oh man, what they've had to endure to get there. Um, I mean, I know our women have been bubbled, uh, living in hotel room, you know, to yeah. even get themselves there. And so, so, you know, you want everyone to do well. You want to, them to come back and be, be proud of their performance um, because they've certainly had uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of anxiety to, to even, you know, find themselves getting there. Last one for you. you. If you got a day off and you're not uh, you're not getting ready to call a hockey game, what is the uh, Winter Olympic sport that you would most likely find yourself sitting down to watch? What will you be keeping an eye on? Oh, good one. Well, I watch it all. Yeah, I get big into the I, speed skating. All of a sudden, I, I'm well, a speed skating nut speed skating for a while. For sure. yeah. For, yeah, like I... I when Clara Hughes crossed the finish line in 2002, I bawled my eyes out. Like I was, it was one of the only events I went to outside of hockey. And I was like bubbling, babbling, like, cause I just was like the pain, you know, writhing yeah. and just crossing the finish line. And for me watching sort of that, giving it, you know, it's a storyline, right? It's, it's this, she just, you know, won a medal. She's sort of writhing in the pain that it caused the lactate to be able to do that. And yet, you know, just sort of just embraced it. And to me, I was, I was crying and it's, it's made me a real, um, a proponent of speed skating. And, and of course, Katrina LeMaydone is one that, uh, I, I, I know many people will know her name. Um, but just a a little side story, if you don't Mm, mind, right before we, we had our gold medal game, um, she kind of spoke to us in 2002 because there was a lot of pressure on her in particular, having, you know, been a world champion in, in the 500 and, and the flag bearer, you know, all of those things, you know, had never been done or you repeat gold medal, all of those kind of things through her career. And she said, you know, she was just a mess, you know, the night before the final. And, um, and she, you know, at the time, you know, she was married and her husband, she said, you know, she was just an absolute mess. And he said, you know, well, how many times have you been to that line? And she was like, 10,000 times or whatever the number is. And he's like, yeah, he's like, so what changes tomorrow with that line? And I think, so I always took that with Mm me um, after she spoke, spoke to us and she won and, you know, she went to that line saying over and over, it's the same damn line. And I remember walking into that or skating onto the ice in that gold medal game. And all I could tell myself was it's the same damn game you've been playing since you were eight, just go do it. And so for me, it really gave me a tie to speed skating um, and just wanting to watch her and then Clara and all the great stories that are surrounding it. So for me, it'll most likely be speed skating. Um, and then, of course, you know, now that my kids are into snowboarding and I will never do that again because <laughs> I sat on ice packs for two days. Um, I can really appreciate uh, what they do as well. Everyone. <laughs> of course. It, this, this, the snowboarding like that and uh, just last summer, the skateboarding, there's like 14-year-olds there now. Like, I just can't imagine doing these oh, tricks, right? I, it's insane. I decided I was going to try the Bunny Hill um, <laughs> Uh, snowboarding, thinking, you know, I'm still athletic. And then I strapped both my feet in and I didn't have a hockey stick in my hand <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Yep. And so instead of wiping out, you know, four-year-olds who were shimmying down the hill, no problem, I catapulted into the rumble strips of the mat <laughs> that takes you up the hill. And I decided that's it. I am done. I actually had the corrugated plastic bruised into my arse. Oh, no. So I decided, yeah, no, that's, that's it. I'll, I'll sit in the, uh, I'll sit and have a cocktail and wait at the bottom of the hill. Enjoy, enjoy all. As we circle all the way back to the beginning of our chat, we now know why mom's not cool, right? 
Yeah, when you when your kids watch you tumble down the hill into the rumble strips of the of the mat, and uh, so you don't take out a child. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, mom is not cool. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I appreciate you making a little bit of time for me here today. And uh, look, one of the things that normally we try to do in, in normal times is we like to have our guests in for a pint while we chat. So we owe you a pint if we can do this again down the road. But uh, thanks awesome. so much for making some time. No, thank you. I have a great one. And, and tune in. Make sure you watch some of those games. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of great stories are going to come out at, uh, at the Olympics. Yeah, I'll be short on sleep all week for sure. Uh, thank awesome. you so much. Appreciate okay, it. Have a great one. All right. And that was terrific. Cheryl has a, a, a great personality, a ton of energy. You've all seen it if you've been watching her work uh, with TSN and, and different uh, events over the last few years as her broadcasting career has taken off, following, of course, a fantastic playing career. Really excited she made some time for us. So thank you so much to Cheryl Pounder. Thank you to you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed that one. A uh, quick reminder, next Tuesday, Michaela Schreider is back on the podcast. We'll be talking about the Olympics and everything that had gone down, uh, mainly in women's hockey, but everything else around the games up until that point. And then a week and a bit later on the Thursday, that'll be right after the women's gold medal game in hockey. She will return for more Olympic hockey talk. Um, So two episodes with Michaela Schreider coming up in the not too distant future at all. And as I said, also next week, Maddie Lang will be on the podcast to help us tee up the Super Bowl. Of course, Rob's still around each of those Monday mornings. There's going to be a ton of... uh, ton of stuff coming at you, ton of content. We will be here throughout the Olympic Games. I may even throw down a couple solo shows as we go throughout the Games. So stick around, get subscribed, get following, and uh, you can interact with us on social media at TallCanAudio. But for now, we are out of time. My name is Matt Robinson, and we will see you all next time on TallCanAudio. It is over! Now that's a tasty beverage. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TallCanAudio.com or by searching TallCanAudio on your favorite podcast app.